Policing Australia, the official podcast of the Australian Police Journal. We're talking about 1945. We're talking about a time when here you have a situation where an eight-year-old child is walking to church in her white dress and she disappears off the face of the earth and the person who has murdered her is known as a child sex offender. In those days, the impact this had on the community was massive. It was a horrendous, abhorrent crime. It was the standout crime of the day and the end result was Frederick Thompson becomes the last man hanged in Tasmania. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Jason Burns, an assistant editor at the Australian Police Journal. For the first podcast in 2023, we're going to learn about Tasmania's last state-sanctioned hanging, as well as the efforts of one man to ensure the victim's grave is appropriately marked. David Plumpton is a retired Tasmania Police Detective Inspector, and among other things, now conducts true crime tours of Hobart. I recently sat down with him to talk about the murder of Evelyn Morn and the hanging of Frederick Thompson. Before we hear from David, though, this is a reminder the Australian Police Journal is a subscriber-only publication. Serving Australian police can subscribe by contacting the APJ liaison officer in their respective police force. Others can subscribe online at apjl.com.au. Check out the website to see a mix of free and subscriber-only content. With over 75 years of continuous publication, there are literally hundreds of APJ articles on a widespread range of policing and related topics. Hello David, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. We're going to talk about the last judicially ordered hanging in Tasmania. Back in 1946, a fellow by the name of Frederick Thompson was the last man hanged. A hanging that was contrary to public um, attitude at the time, but due to the fact Frederick Thompson was convicted of murdering a child, really, and I'll go through this again after I've explained the circumstances, he really had very, very little hope of getting any clemency. So, just explaining the circumstances. 1945, still during and at the end of the war, World War II, Frederick Thompson was a man who lived in a street, Harrington Street in Hobart. He lived with his wife and two children in a uh, basement, first and second storey building in Harrington Street, as I said. At the time, his mother was running a shop in this in Harrington Street and he had the basement and access to the rooms above. It was more a, what would you say, what we'd probably call a second-hand shop, things like that. A variety of things were sold through there and she had her own home at Battery Point. But Frederick lived there with his wife. Now, Frederick had a background, a chequered history himself in that he had a low IQ. He had struggled as a child in Victoria and had fallen foul of the law and fallen foul of mental health regulations and was deemed to be a sex offender in regards to threatening children, being a threat to children. So as a result of that, he'd suffered a number of detentions at mental health facilities of the day. But the end result was he moved to Tasmania, as did his family. When he comes to Tasmania, he manages to get employment I think at the time, sorry, he'd done a period of time in the army and was dismissed. Basically, I don't think he left Tasmania, he was dismissed. 
for theft and just being a laxadaisical, terrible soldier, so he was dismissed at the time. I think he may have been at Campbelltown. The end result was he came back to Hobart. There was a lot of work around then at those days for people because men were serving in the Army, so or Navy or Air Force. He obtains employment on the waterfront and became a waterside worker. So he's working down there. In July 1945, he was living in Harrington Street and a young girl by the name of Evelyn Morn left her home in Goulburn Street, which is diagonally, I'd say, 500 metres away from Harrington Street. And for those people not familiar with Hobart, the streets in the centre of the city are laid out in a grid pattern. Very simply laid out in squares as it was designed to be for horse and cart in the days when they had the convicts and where we're talking about is Hobart city centre effectively and St Joseph Church was 100 metres up from Harrington on the corner of Harrington and Macquarie just up from Frederick Thompson. So you had Goulburn Street, another, say, within 500 metres. She was walking or was supposed to walk from her home at 100 Goulburn Street to St Joseph Church Sunday morning. So what happens normally... The Morn family, cousins, nephews, go to Evelyn's, pick up her, and they walk to the church. This Sunday morning, they get there. Evelyn's not ready. She hasn't got a white dress completely ready. So they go ahead. Evelyn will meet them there. Nothing untoward about any of this. Off they go. Evelyn doesn't arrive at church. Now, there is a creek between Goulburn and Harrington Street. So when Evelyn didn't turn up at church, there was a concern that, uh uh-oh, has she gone playing? Has she fallen in? What has happened? Has she fallen in the creek? Has she disappeared? Has she wandered off into the bush? So there was searches in and around the area for Evelyn Morn. It became apparent to certain officers that there was more to it when people began to come forward and initially, and this got lost in the whole investigation, an individual came forward who indicated that he saw Frederick Thompson carrying a bathtub that this person thought had a child in it. And this is really strange. They couldn't understand. The end result was, though, they go and see Frederick Thompson. Thompson claims, yes, I had walked with a bathtub along the street, but it had, and I have to admit, says Frederick, it had stolen paint in it. What had happened, Thompson had, in fact, with others, as was occurring at the time, stolen paint from the waterfront. There was a lot of pilfering going on. What had happened, though, Thompson had found that he had taken the paint, but it was 12 litres of... 12 litres, but 12 gallons in those days. 12 gallons of boat naval paint for USS Vessel. So it had too much lead. It wasn't suitable for housing, so he had to get rid of it. He said he found that out, so he'd taken it and he dumped it, got rid of it. The end result, he ended up appearing in court and pleaded guilty to theft of this paint. But that came later before it became apparent that Evelyn Morn had in fact suffered foul play because what happened, whilst the investigations and searches were being conducted for eight-year-old Evelyn, a number of people began to talk about Frederick Thompson and certain detectives of the day under the direction of a detective of some note by the name of Richard Fleming, an inspector, began to suspect Thompson of having foul play. So they looked into Thompson, they found out his history, but what they did know was that Thompson and another fellow by the name of Sainty were friends and of a Saturday would hang around His Majesty's Theatre. His Majesty's Theatre was a big picture theatre. 
You've got to remember Tobart might be 1945, the war years, less population, but the picture theatres of a Saturday afternoon were very big. So you'd have His Majesty's in Liverpool Street, Hobart, which is just 150 metres from where Thompson lived. You had that, the Odeon across the road, you had these picture theatres, kids would be coming in and out of them, trams up and down the street, and at the same time, nearby was a hotel, the Royal Hotel. In actual fact, now it's the Legal Aid Office. But the Royal Hotel was where... Thompson, saying to you, we'll go have a few beers. But they were concerned. They were always hanging around His Majesty's Theatre during the matinee times with young kids about. So there, were, there was nervousness. Well, nervousness, do I say nervousness? There was concerns about him. And so you had a group of detectives and police officers saying, listen, Evelyn Morn's disappearance has got something to do with Thompson. But nothing could be found. And another group was saying, well, look, Evelyn Morn could have fallen in the river, the rivulet. Or she could have wandered off. Her family did not believe that to be the case, believe she'd suffered foul play. And in October that year, it became apparent that was the case when Evelyn's body was found at a cemetery at Sandy Bay, Queenborough. Sandy Bay is now where the casino is. So for those people who are listening have ever been to Hobart, where the casino is, if you look straight up from the casino... There's a football oval for Hutchins Private School. Just behind that was Queenborough Cemetery, huge cemetery it was in the day. And a visitor from the mainland had come over. He'd been staying in Hobart doing some genealogical studies and had gone down to Queenborough Cemetery and there, in a broken, smashed grave site, found the remains of a young girl. It was Evelyn Morton. Immediately, police attend, bearing in mind... Searches had been conducted of Frederick Thompson's home prior. Nothing found that could connect him with any untoward activity, and in particular nothing to do with Evelyn Morn. So, the body of Evelyn's found. Nearby was some wood in the form of a cart or pram-type contraction. So the police took that, but... When they examined Evelyn, and look, we're talking about the days of no DNA and at some months after her being discovered, they believe or identify she'd been asphyxiated, but her hands were bound and feet by this particular material. So they discover that, they discover her, they determine obviously this is foul play and they go immediately back to Thompson. What happens in Thompson... They allege, and obviously it was accepted, that the material on Evelyn, found with Evelyn, was identical to material in Frederick's home. They form a view that Evelyn, when I say they, I'm talking about the team of detectives led by Richard Fleming, they form a view that, in their opinion, Evelyn has been walking to church. She may well have seen Frederick's children, because he had a daughter around the same age, and Frederick's invited her into the house and he's taken her into the basement where this material was and he has done something to her. They believe that she may have then made a noise, screamed, whatever, and this is only conjecture because these were the allegations that were made and he has asphyxiated her. The witness who then became very important in the trial was the person who had seen Frederick carrying a bathtub. He swears and declares... There was not paint in it. Whether he could, was 100% confident it was a child is another matter. It was a body. Like, why wouldn't you report that if you've seen that? But in any effect, he says there was not paint in there. There was something 
he believes the body, covered by a rag, covered by a blanket. So this stood in great stark difference to what Frederick was saying. At the same time, Frederick had indicated that he'd taken the paint back in the bathtub and got a pram to push it in. That's when Sainty, his friend, becomes involved because Sainty indicates, hey, I did have a wooden contraption that I used to wheel things around in that Frederick had. That's it. When I say that's it, I'm talking about the wooden contraption found near Evelyn's body. So the belief is Frederick Thompson's murdered Evelyn, eight years of age, in July 1945, has put her in a small bathtub, covered her with a blanket, rag, whatever, tried to walk with the bathtub, too heavy, come home, got the contraption pram and wheeled her out to Queenborough. Now, that's quite a walk. That's a... um, Distance of a few kilometres. So he's managed to push her out there, out there and why the cemetery? No one ever ever comes up with a satisfactory answer because Frederick denies totally and utterly that he has had any involvement with the disappearance or got any knowledge of evil and more, and in particular, a murder. I'm assuming back then that cemetery would have been on the outskirts of Hobart. It was in a bush area. Oh, sorry, when I say a bush area, it's surrounded by bush. Pictures of the day indicate already a falling down cemetery because Cornelian Bay, another area in Hobart, had become a more central cemetery and only those who had plots still at Queenborough uh, utilised it. So not many people would have gone out there. In retrospect, if he'd have covered the body up better, maybe she'd have never been found because she'd have been in a graveside, not until they totally and utterly covered the cemetery over, and then she may not have been found. So we could have been talking about a missing person forever, an eight-year-old, and there'd be people who would have said she'd fallen in the rivulet and the body was never found. So unlucky in some regards that this person visited and was looking at grave, because he was a genealogist looking at headstones, he was having a close look at them and found the body. And when you look at the pictures of the day, you can see where they had to move some part of a broken grave stone. So whoever, Frederick Thompson, put the body there, had made some effort to hide her and she became discovered. Can you talk a bit more about that person called Sainty? Now this is an interesting thing from people of the day in that there was a lot of belief that, hold on, Sainty and Thompson would be involved together. Thompson, when spoken to about the murder, indicates, hey, if anybody would do it, Sainty would. So he doesn't say Sainty did it, but the only really connection to the murder by Thompson is to indicate that, hey, maybe Sainty did it. Sainty, also a very low IQ, indicates, no, I didn't at all, didn't at all. But he doesn't put Thompson in apart from highlighting the wooden contraption that at some stage he may have had, he may have used, and he said Thompson had. So the end result is Thompson's charged with murder. Now, in those days, we wait years now for a trial. This is October, November 1945. There's a trial in December. A week trial, when I say a week, a week-long, a five-day trial. All the evidence is put before a person of summary. A judge of the day was Andrew Inglis Clark. The trial was very well managed from all accounts. The interesting thing is Thompson denied totally any involvement. He's defended beyond reasonable doubt, reliance, he'll never be found guilty. The jury were out for one hour and five minutes. So the evidence must have been for those 12 people, would have been 12 men of the day, quite compelling. 
They come back in. Thompson receives the death penalty. Not since, so we're talking 1945, the end of 45. 24 years earlier, 1922 would be the last hanging. And there had not been, I think, since 1850, there had only been 31 hangings in Tasmania since 1850. Prior to that, it had been a very, very stern draconian legislation and there'd been a significant number of hangings throughout Hobart, throughout Tasmania. When I say throughout Tasmania, Launceston, Hobart. But since the 1850s and the new penitentiary, there'd only been 30 hangings and only one of them had been a female. So 1922, as I said, was the last one. So you think of the situation where you've got this man, Frederick Thompson, is obviously not very uh, dysfunctional. He's had difficulties with mental health in the past. He is now convicted of murder, convicted, sentenced to death. The general belief was, hey, he will um, have that commuted. It had happened continuously. And you can point to a number of other murders premeditated that had been commuted, had their death sentence commuted. However, the petitions were taken up throughout Hobart. The churches, the local churches, got together and put together a representation to the government of the day and to the Governor-General saying, listen, commute. But you then had this man who'd killed, murdered, strangled, and the allegations were sexually molested, an eight-year-old child who was on her way to church. Thompson really had significant difficulties, obviously, and the government of the day did not want to upset the public, and in particular those that they believed to be the silent majority. Therefore, the hanging went ahead, and I think it was February. Uh, 1946, he was put to death at the penitentiary in Hobart by hanging. Interestingly, the hanging was scheduled for 8am, but it was brought forward to 6am to avoid any public outcry that they believed may occur. And look, people did attend the jail, but there was no public outcry. By the time they were there, they became aware that the death penalty had been carried out. So to this day, Frederick Thompson is known as the last man hanged in Tasmania. To this day, there are people who say when they read the papers from his trial that it wasn't a very well-defended matter. However, others argue that the judge of the day seemed to be very fair and reasonable. One hour, five minutes for a jury to make a decision, so there must have been significant evidence there. Today, there's no doubt, Jason, he would not have, he would be out. He would have done a number of years and maybe not even been convicted, I don't know. Maybe if they'd have had psychiatric reports on him, I don't think he was that mentally unstable that that had taken him. But there is no doubt that he, in today's day and age, would have ended up receiving a number of significant period of imprisonment, but would have done. 15 years, 20 years and been released. Or he may not have been convicted, I do not know. But he was convicted and his claim to fame or infamy is he's the last man hanged in Tasmania, Frederick Thompson. Did this case prompt the abolition of the death penalty in Tasmania or did it remain on the statute books? We kept it on the... Tasmania, when I say we. (laughs) Tasmania kept it on its record books for quite a period of time, but obviously with Ronald Ryan being hung in 1967 in Victoria, there was another... Review and the end result was obviously the death penalty was because bearing in mind there'd been a number of legislative changes prior to that because in Tasmania 
you could be hung for just about anything for a period of time. And that remained, having said that, people were only receiving the death penalty for crimes of murder. But, yeah, the other matters had been repealed previously, but I think Thompson highlighted that you couldn't rely on an assumption of clemency being provided, but it was still a number of 30 years before the death penalty was finally... And I've spoken to people in this state and others who have received the death penalty. That Now, that itself is a really interesting thing. I was speaking to a gentleman who murdered a young girl oh, in the 1970s, now lives in South Australia. He received the death penalty. And he said, it does focus your attention. And even though your barrister says, listen, that uh, will be commuted, you won't. he said, no, for a period of time you are treated totally different and you are subject to a penalty of death. So can I just go back to Thompson while we're on that? A number of people tried to speak to Thompson when he was in the penitentiary, being kept away from others, obviously, because he was subject to the death penalty. And a local historian, Reg Watson, tells the story that he did form a, well, whether you say friendship, relationship with a female nurse and made a number of comments to her that indicated that he may have been guilty. This is rumour and innuendo and there's nothing there to support that. But up until the moment of his execution, he was crying his innocence. He shook the hands of those prisoners, sorry, prison warders and those present at his hanging and went to the gallows, a very stable individual. Some people say, and I think, I don't know whether it's Reg Watson, whether he actually knew what was happening is another matter, which goes again to his level of competence. So, look, in retrospect, there's a lot of sadness about the whole thing. Obviously the sadness of an eight-year-old child being murdered, evil and mourned. But... The sadness of this life of Thompson, and I know, and it may sound like I don't agree with the death penalty, and I well, I particularly don't, so I'm not a supporter of it, but listen, I'm a, here am I in 2023, and I've never had a family member who's been the victim of such a serious crime. So I've never suffered that emotional drain that other family members do, so I can't speak from that perspective. But it just seems that... Um, Nothing gained by it, as people say, Thompson can't murder again. But here's another interesting fact, fact, situation. Evelyn Maugham was buried at Cornelian Bay Cemetery. At the day, her family, she had an uncle who was very, very angry, returned serviceman, wanted to murder Thompson before the police got him. But the family were very strong, supportive of the police, she was buried at Cornelian Bay Cemetery. Family moved to Victoria. Now she's in an unmarked plot. There is just a four or five spots of just grass where Evelyn Morn's body lies. You can't tell. There's no gravestone or anything like that. So one of the things that I do intend to do is I'd like to put a gravestone to Evelyn Morn. Nothing to do with the last man hanged because I don't want to recognise him. But just put... Eight-year-old child, a life was taken, some recognition of her. The difficulty is I find I'm having trouble finding her family because Cornelian Bay Cemetery, Millington, it, need approval from a family member to say, yes, we're happy with that. 
that's providing significant difficulties. And look, it's not going to cost a lot of money. It's not going to cost a lot of money to just put something there. So, look, I don't know whether I've got this out of context in this regard because at the time, 1945, we always say, never forget, we'll never forget, we'll never do this. Lest we forget, tears would fall down at the church service and I know it is now 80 years later, but there's no, there's no it's obvious there's a record, there's no references. No one can go and say, hi, Evelyn, well, hi, Evelyn, you're not speaking to her, but lay a tribute to her, put some flowers there. So I think to end the story, that would be nice if we could do that. So my next step is to locate the Mourn family or a member of it who can say to Millington's at Cornelian Bay Cemetery, go ahead, it's not going to cost them anything, we'll do it. Yeah, that's a great idea. In 2015, I wrote a story about Canberra's first murder charge, where an infant was killed by his father. The man poisoned the child inside the house while police were outside the building trying to break in. We know which cemetery the infant was buried in, but not the actual gravesite. That's the sadness, isn't it? That, like, There's an ongoing sadness when someone is victim of a crime, in particular the most serious of crimes, murder, that the ongoing sadness that stays with that family... And then they move away, leave behind. And I suppose it is only the um, remains. But Evelyn Morn was found in a cemetery in a grave that was broken up and she's not even got that now. It all sounds a bit strange. And I know there can't be closure per se, but it would be nice if there was a bookend to it all to say, this is where Evelyn Morn is. If you hear about Evelyn Morn, and you'll only hear about it because you don't hear about murder victims that often is because Thompson was the last man hanged. Maybe, hey, Evelyn deserves some recognition because she was a child on her way to church and some recognition by a simple headstone at that graveside, I think, would put a bookend to the whole very sad situation. Thanks for the chat, David. It's really appreciated. No, no, thank you. Thanks very much. That was David Plumpton, retired detective inspector and now host of Dark Side Tours, the true crime tours of Hobart. It's a great way to get an insight into the history of law enforcement and crime in Tasmania's capital. In regard to David's idea to place a headstone at Evelyn Morn's gravesite, if you know a member of the family, can you let us know at the APJ office by email at apj at apjl.com.au? We will confidentially forward your details to David. For more information about this case, in 1992, the APJ published an article titled Tasmania's Last Hanging. It was written by Tasmanian historian Reg Watson. For the next few weeks, the article will be freely available at our website and will then be put behind the subscriber paywall. Thank you for listening to the episode. Until next time, take care.